Hello and welcome to the Alice of Insight podcast, your thoughts and news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TST Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and I'm currently sat inside the offices of Avove, waiting for CEO Chris Wires and senior AM engineer Richard Finch to join me. Avove is a UK-based company that is leaning on 3D printing techniques, as well as advanced materials, engineering and AI, to produce what it describes as perfect membranes. Earlier this year, the company raised £5.7 million to increase its manufacturing capacity as it prepares to deliver its enhanced membrane technology to the lithium, green hydrogen and desalination markets, among others. Downstairs, they've got a 3D printing lab, which features Formos machines and their own binder jet printer, and a chemistry lab. I'm here to find out more about how the company is using AM technology and the potential impact of its enhanced membrane products. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tstmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TST Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Chris and Richard, welcome to the Additive Insight podcast and thanks for having us at um, the above offices. Earlier this year, you obviously announced the 5.7 million funding round. I'm going to come on to what that investment will enable you to do um, in a little bit. But can you first take us back to the beginning and explain how Evove as a business came about? Yeah, so Evove was founded about six years ago, uh, originally called uh, G2O, uh, Water Technologies Limited. Uh, the business was was based around developing graphene oxide coatings for application to membranes to improve their performance in various water treatment applications, uh, whether that's industrial wastewater treatment or desalination. Um, uh, we were trying to leverage that technology to do that. Um, I joined the business full-time as CEO in... 1st of April 2020, which was a fantastic date uh, to start full-time employment in a new role, um, just as the rest of the world was uh, turning upside down. Um, what it did give us was space to breathe and think about uh, the, the correct strategy uh, for the business. And um, the one challenge in the co- applying coatings to membranes is that those membranes which we're trying to improve are actually flawed devices. They're not precision engineered. If you look at them under high-powered microscopy, uh, you'll see that they'll have holes, pores uh, of various different sizes. Uh, it could be three orders of magnitude difference in, in sizes, uh, randomly distributed all across the surface. Um, so if you're trying to filter something of a specific size or molecular weight or you know, type of iron, um, it's very difficult to do that precisely because uh, you've got big holes that stuff goes through and tiny little holes that just get plugged up. Uh, and what you also see is the three-dimensional architecture of that membrane, if you take a cross-section of it, uh, is a real mess. Um, and many of the channels don't go anywhere, they're dead-ended. And you end up with less than 20% uh, of, of the pores being actually active and, and doing a job. So from an efficiency standpoint, it's not very good. Um, and from a precision um, process standpoint, you know, having such variability in, in, in the, the size of the pores really, really causes issues with performance. So as a team, we set about 
um, devising a way to resolve that and additive manufacturing 3D printing was the obvious choice. Um, and we just built out from there. Uh, and then um, as the business technology uh, platforms um, expanded um, to include uh, our spacer technology, our 3D printed inserts, and our wholly uh, 3D printed uh, Sepronix uh, devices and membranes. We decided it was appropriate to change the name of the business to reflect that, and hence we, we became Evove, which you'll note is not a typical water brand uh, <laughs> or, or color set. Yeah. So, because okay. we're not a typical water business. Makes sense. Um, so, what can you can you explain the, the kind of the technology that you you and your team are, are developing? Yeah. downstairs what what would we need to know about that technology to understand what the aims of the business are yeah sure um, we have basically two technology platforms our enhanced range of products uh, which improve the performance of existing membranes that includes the graphene oxide coatings that the business was originally founded on spacers um, which we 3d print uh, and they're inserted in between membrane layers in spiral wire membranes in a variety of different applications to manage the, the fluid uh, flow. Um, and inserts which are, if you like, spiral shaped 3D printed um, products which are in, inserted into tubular membranes to manage the fluid dynamics. Um, so re all retrofitable to existing membranes and in terms of performance gains uh, we see everything from a doubling in selectivity to a 5x increase in throughput to an 80% reduction in, in energy consumption for processing a given volume of fluid. So pretty transformational performance gains. Mm -hmm. The second range of products we call Sepronix, and that's wholly 3D printed membranes, where we're precisely engineering the, the, the architectures for a specific purpose. Um, and you know, Richard and his colleagues have been involved in, in all of that, but Sepronix was really where it all started. You know, we we recruited the team specifically to, to help drive that, that program forward. Yeah. Um, Richard, probably yeah. like you to share a bit on that. Yeah, so the Sepronics is a, um, it's a binder jet process, but it's actually a reactive binder jet process. So instead of a conventional method of printing a, a polymer binder, we're printing a, a reactive binder. So we're printing ceramic onto ceramic. Um, and this bi the binder then contains particles in which fill the interstices within the powder bed. So not only do we um, end up with a, a denser green part, we also reduce the thermal budget required for sintering, which also improves the, um, the commercial viability of the, the process and it reduces the post-processing time, um, which makes it very commercially applicable. Yeah. So um, ceramics are known in the, in the, in the filtration industry. Uh, very, very durable materials, but very, very high cost. A lot of the cost is, of that is driven by, by the thermal budget, as, as Richard said, and the processing time. So you'll take between three and seven days to make a, um, a, a conventional ceramic membrane. You're limited pretty much to one type of architecture, a tube because they're, they're extruded or moulded um, or machined in certain cases. Um, and um, you know, the, the, the thermal cycle drives the, the, the cost high, very, very high. Um, you know, you're talking 1800 Celsius for, for sometimes days in terms of the thermal cycles. 
The other issue they have is they have a very high failure rate in manufacturing because um, you know, the, the, the shrinkage which occurs, the, the, you know, the thermal cycles they endure, um, it's typical post-processing issues. All the sorts of stuff that additive manufacturing overcomes. <laughs> in our case, um, you know, we're able to drive down the cost of manufacturing ceramics by over 60% coupled with uh, an order of magnitude plus uh, in performance gains, that means we can take ceramics into a very, very different um, market with a, a very, very strong value prop proposition. Mm. There's also things we can do in terms of pore size, um, the flow rates we can achieve, which you just can't, can't do with conventional ceramics. So for us, this is transformational for the industry. It's absolutely game-changing. In terms of that, is it challenging to take these ideas to to customers who've been doing things the same way for ages? Yes and no. Um, I think, as an industry in general, the, the water sector is slow to adopt um, new technologies. The pace of change is abysmal, um, and that I guess that's part reflected in the fact, uh, you know, the very public image of the state of the, the water sector right now, particularly in the UK, you know, where we've got sewage leaking into our waterways on a regular basis, for instance, being the highlight recently. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the positives are that um, because we have such game-changing technology and we understand the value proposition in detail, and we do that by working directly with end users, you know, we, we work with them to help them define their problems and provide a solution which is going to work for them. Rather than just taking a one-size-fits-all and trying to force that into, into the scenario, we'll effectively provide a bespoke solution in many mm -hmm. occasions. Some of the challenges you were talking about before with the conventional membranes, mm. what are the, what's the impact of that in terms of um, energy? I think... A lot yeah, of yeah. Energy play, right? there, yeah. There are several. There are several impacts. Um, if we look at um, the single biggest issue in, in, in membranes, that's biofouling and, and scaling. They're, they're clog up basically. Um, uh, you get organic growth. You get um, calcium and other uh, materials deposited on in, in the membrane. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they, they clog up, um, become very inefficient. Um, which means you've got to treat them with very harsh chemicals to recover performance, uh, which um, requires a, a lot of water as well. Um, you get downtime, obviously, when you, you're cleaning them, uh, and you have a new waste stream to deal with. Um, on top of that, these chemicals degrade the membrane uh, over time. Mm. You know, repeated harsh cleaning cycles degrade the performance even further. So you, you end up... Yeah, we're recovering less and less performance um, as you go along. So you can live with that if you really want to, um, but it's not not great. Um, the, the the second problem is um, because they're not precise devices, um, that the fluid dynamics aren't optimized, using far more energy than you should. Mm -hmm. um, and we found with some very, very simple modifications, um, we, we can optimize the fluid dynamics to prevent the failing and scaling, but more importantly, to, to minimize the energy burden. Um, you know, we, we've measured over 80% reduction in energy consumption for processing some pretty challenging fluids. Mm. 
So, uh, and that's using the existing membranes. As we move to our 3D printed separonics, we see even bigger gains. Um, so it's you know, we, we think all of this helps address climate change. Water is, is an integral part of most manufacturing process, in fact, most processes. Um, and um, hence, its inefficient use um, really drives um, CO2 uh, emissions, carbon footprint. Um, and if we're able to, to address that, then, then we can certainly have some impact uh, and you know, help us offset um, and, and reduce um, emissions. So. A couple of the <clears throat> um, examples I've shown downstairs are some of the things you've already mentioned, the spiral inserts and the kind of the mesh spaces. Kind of spaces. Yeah. Um, can you outline, I guess, the, the impact that 3D printing techniques are having on those kind of parts? Yeah. Well, firstly, they allow us to, to make um, shapes and architectures which we can't make in any other way. Um, and um, I think that allows us to, to leverage some pretty substantial effects. And Richard, you, you've been yeah. you know, integral to the development of that, that, yeah. that, that with, product. With the, the, the spacers in particular, so that's the mesh that you referred to, um, mm. we're able to change features down to tens of microns, um, which you will see a drastic performance gain. Um, and the technology then, it was shifting it over to a high throughput process, which we've managed to do with additive man manufacturing. So not only have we been able to reduce, uh, increase the performance, um, we've also been able to then change it to make it customer specific to their own applications. Um, and compared to a conventional spacer or mesh structure, we're, we're leaps and bounds ahead, really. So. Yeah, yeah. And if, if we look at one of our big applications for, for this in desalination, um, and we're able to reduce the energy consumption um, in, in the desalination process by up to 30%. Um, and given that there's an increasing uh, requirement globally um, for, for desalination, this, this could have a, a real big impact. Mm. So. And I understand, particularly on the, um, the mesh parts, CFD was, was quite important for, yeah. for those. Can you take me, talk me through? The, the significance of, of CFD and, and what that enables you to do? So if we go to conventional spaces, they, they are basically a filament that is extruded and there is no other feature for that than just to provide a flow channel between two membrane sheets. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a very talented CFD engineer who's looked into how we can model these existing spaces and he's identified areas where we can improve. So what we're, we're able to do is we're printing hydrofoils onto the spacers that improve the, the flow, reduce the, the, the pressure drop across across the membrane. And we're talking about struts that are, these, these hydrofoils are about um, 200 microns tall um, with a curved profile mm -hmm. that can actually guide the, fl the flow through it. So those, those CFDs, we've then spent several months correlating what we get with the CFD performance to the printing performance and use that then to correlate the two and then our CFD model can then influence what we're printing. So really printing, the, the, the printing has enabled us to really improve the, um, the output. because so it's just the correlation between the two is, is really good. Yeah, and that, that whole 
generative design process has, has really accelerated uh, you know, our time to, to get final product. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're busy investing now in scaling that, that, that technology. Um, the interesting part for me with it with this business though, I mean my, my background's in digital printing. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, is that we're not so the interesting part for me is not we're not only just developing new membrane uh, devices, we're developing new uh, additive manufacturing solutions, uh, opening up new markets. Um, you know, our ceramics technology, we you know, we can see that have applications mm. outside of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it, it's just great to see, you know, firsthand how um, quickly, you know, the additive space is developing. And, you know, we're, we're playing a part in it. I say we, very talented team I, I have. So. <laughs>
99 point whatever percent dense so actually you guys would kind of appreciate the prosty yeah yeah we want water to flow through um through our our, our parts so um we had to take a very different approach to this um yeah we're not looking to to drive density through sintering cycles um mm. and our material selection processes are, are obviously very different and reflect what we're trying to achieve mm -hmm. um Again, we use a lot of modelling up front uh, to shorten that R&D cycle. Um, you know, we're very lucky to have some, some great talent uh, in the team, but also to be able to leverage um, the expertise uh, of SDFC uh, at the Hartree Centre mm -hmm. for, for much of the computational work we do, uh, where we have access to you know, the UK's highest performance supercomputers, for instance. So. Right. Uh, the other thing you mentioned was the, the build volume. Yeah. So we're talking about one metre by one metre. Yes. So talk yeah, to me about, yeah. I guess, how you would fill that volume and what, why is that kind of dimension well, is important? I'll cover off why. Um, <laughs> membranes um, today are, are of that size. Um, you know, a, a typical desalination membrane will be, let's say, a metre long by, and in the industry, it drives the engineers mad in the team. They say an eight inch diameter, one metre long <laughs> membrane. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I can hear people already just, just cringing at, <laughs> at that mix of units. Um, but that, that's, that's the, what the, the, the standard um, industry dimensions are. Mm -hmm. So in the first phase of our, 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 our product rollout, we have to have retrofitability. In the future, that will change. New build, we have a, you know, a complete free reign, um, and that allows us to create more efficient shapes than an, an eight-inch wide pipe. Mm, okay. And in terms of the binder jet process, um, why? What? What? What is it about that specific three D printing process lends itself well to? kind of products that you guys are manufacturing. Yeah, I think the, the, the advantage of BinderJet is, is that it's scalable. So you can, if we want to increase print speed, add more print heads. It's as simple as that. We can increase the powder volume by as much as we want. You, you see with other processes, for example, SLM, SLS, you know, you obviously buy a single laser point, or you can have quad laser, but it's nowhere near as fast as BinderJet. We don't need that high density, um, you know, with BinderJet, we've got the scalability, we've got the speed. We, we could, like you just alluded to, we could make a meter by a meter printer. With the this um, lab, um, lab um, machine we've got here, correlates directly with a big one meter by one meter machine. Mm. So it works really well, it's a really good technology. Yeah. And in terms of how you move that forward, what's the, I guess, the roadmap in terms of yeah. scaling it and what's involved in, in scaling it? Is it as simple as, is that or are there considerations that you have to make? Yeah, yeah of course. It is. It's far more complex than, um, than you know, just saying we've got more print heads on. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody in the industry knows yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is relatively straightforward, you know, the, the, in the sense that it does have that modularity about it. So more print heads, more speed, bigger, bigger build size. Um, we're investing heavily in that over the, over the, the course of this year and beyond. Um, and you know we, we will be launching commercial scale products uh, early next year mm -hmm. in our separonics uh, range. So we're doing this quickly. Um, we're only able to do that because we've got a great team, um, and they work tirelessly to, to deliver on, on on our objectives. 
Um, in terms of materials with that binder jet machine, what are the kind of materials that you would be working with? Yeah, ceramics, um, starting with alumina um, and then broadening out beyond there. Alumina is probably the largest um, volume ceramic material used in, in filtration. Um, and in terms of chemistry, it provides a relatively broad base to, to look at. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to touch on the, the market, um, the industries that are listed on the, the above website, as mm -hmm. the, the industries that you're targeting. Um, so there's lithium, green hydrogen, desalination, food and beverage. I'm definitely forgetting one because there's... Industrial wastewater treatment. Oh, yes. that was it, okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> what do you see as the current challenges that exist, I guess, across that whole space? And then within each space, what is, what is different and what do you have to do differently to serve them properly? Yeah, it, broadly in, in, in all of those spaces, there are three, three challenges. Energy consumption, uh, particularly right now, uh, when it, energy costs are really high. Operational efficiency, so downtime in any, any industry is a killer. Um, and finally, product yield. Mm -hmm. So you want to recover uh, as much product as you can or process as much um, fluid as you can. So they're, they're really the three drivers right across, across those industries, which is common to many other mm -hmm. industries. If we look at the lithium space, um, the biggest drivers are our energy and recovery rate, um, and you know we're able to shave a, a big percentage off off the the energy bill, but more importantly, uh, we have a very very high yield. Mm -hmm. we, we we take a a brine containing lithium and we'll cover ninety three percent plus, um, and we the efficiency we do that enables an end to end manufacturing cost, which is typically half of any other. Our competitors combined as well because we're so efficient, the footprint of our plant is much smaller. Mm -hmm. um, if you do any any searches on on the lithium industry, you'll see that the, it's a horrendous industry. It uses a lot of land mass, uses a lot of water, and creates a lot of waste. Um, also, lithium shipped all over the world. Um, from all over the world to China for, for refining and processing, then shipped back to battery manufacturers. So that in itself creates a huge carbon footprint, mm -hmm. um, creates some real security of supply issues as well. Yeah, we have some noise challenges <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> so what we have, the, the Evoke DLE system is transformational. Um, and you know, we're seeing a growing demand in, right across uh, North America, Europe, Latin America for our technology. In desalination, um, the drivers really are energy right now. We've got to push the, the cost of, uh, in terms of the CO2 um, down because uh, in 20 years time, it's forecast that uh, you know, 35, 40% of the, the, the global population will be suffering from water scarcity. Um, including the UK, um, mm. the, the UK are actually starting to, to spec out and build desalination plants. And that's scary. Uh, you know, such a water abundant um, country as well. But you magnify that to, to more arid regions um, where they have real issues, then you, you can see 
how quickly they've got to build new plant. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia, um, for instance, biggest biggest desalinator in the world. Um, they 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 have plans to treble their desalination capacity over the next ten years, and we have a, a lots of projects um, with all of the organisations that play in that space. Um, so that will create a massive carbon footprint. Um, so taking 30-40% of that, that energy bill off really, really helps. Mm -hmm. um, in um, green hydrogen, um, our play really is about providing pure water. Uh, it's, it's the issue nobody's talking about in the hydrogen sector. Um, all the focus is on how efficient the, the electrocatalytic uh, conversion cells are. <clears throat> if you put impure water in, it destroys the, the surfaces of, of, of those devices very, very quickly. Um, it causes you a lot of, lot of issues and increases the energy bill. Uh, you're getting you know, deposits forming on the surfaces of the electrodes. The only answer is you just keep turning them up. Mm -hmm. um, drives your cost up and drives the lifetime of the, the cells down. So um, if you clean the water up, you don't get those issues. Um, but nobody's really thinking about it. And the ones that are, are using the same technology which is used in the semiconductor industry to produce the, the ultra-pure water, they call it. Um, and that is a very expensive um, and uh, inefficient process. Um, for instance, if you take, um, well, if you want to make one litre of, of um, Ultra pure water, you, you have to start with 15. So the conversion rate is, is very, very poor. Um, and the NE bill associated that was horrific. Mm -hmm. So the Evove technology, particularly Zeperonix, solves that problem. In terms of obviously the, the products that you manufacture will, will <clears throat> do a lot to, to save on energy yeah. um, and on waste and, and things like that. Do you, when you're designing the, the binder jet machine, for example, and and all everything that goes into that supply chain when you source your parts, does is sustainability a consideration there? And how much? Yeah. Maybe not if it's in your control, but how much of a consideration is that as you develop that technology? It's a huge consideration, um, and localization of, of, of manufacturing um, is probably the biggest energy saver in the whole supply chain, mm -hmm. um, and that's what it enables. We think about that all of the time. Um, whether we're designing the machines, thinking about materials and the supply chains we have to build to, to provide um, mm -hmm. the consumables for the printers. So in talking about uh, localised manufacturing, as you, you know, work with, with customers, talk to me about the actual collaboration that, that exists, how, how products are developed, where they are then manufactured and how that all works, how you work with each yeah. other. So, that direct end user um, engagement is, is essential to provide the best products, not just in our industry, in any industry. Mm -hmm. um, so we work very closely with them, understand their problems, design the product um, to, to, to solve their issues. Um, for our large volume end users, embedding manufacturing into either a regional uh, hub or into their facility is a very, very attractive proposition. Um, the latency in, in the, the, the current supply chain uh, causes a lot of issues. Um, it can be months, not days, 
these months. Um, so if you have a critical uh, issue that's causing downtime, you need another part and you're going to be down for, well, even days is an issue, months. Uh, it's, it's a killer. Mm -hmm. So the ability to, to print on demand, if you like, um, will really help resolve that locally as well. So you're not having to ship things around the world. Um, so, you know, we, we see this as being a complete disruption of the existing supply chain, but one which will help them solve many, many issues which exist. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, obviously, one aspect of, of what you offer is, is retrofitting, mm. and then um, there's obviously space for you then to, to do things differently. Yes. When you have a, a customer who's retrofitting um, one of your products, are you, are you then kind of encouraging them to evolve as, as, the, as the relationship develops? Depends on the customer. Um, generally, yes, we are. Um, the opportunity always exists with, with, with new plant build. Um, that, that's really where, where, the, where we can leverage uh, the, the more radical thinking and, and more efficient devices. Um, where they don't have a um, you know, network of pipes with specific um, designs we've got to fit into. Mm -hmm. so. um, and then on to the, the funding mm. uh, that was announced earlier in the year. Um, so you've received backing from At One Ventures, um, which is an organisation that's kind of on the, I guess, climate tech side, and then AM Ventures, which is obviously a more familiar organisation to to me and my audience, um, they support companies with a play in 3D printing. So I want to come on to what the funding enables in a minute, but what what do you hope you can kind of garner from working with those organisations in terms of their, I guess, their own expertise? Yeah, um, well, I, I think for a, for a business which is selling products into the water industry, related industries, Attracting funding from a climate tech impact investor, Silicon Valley based climate tech impact investor, and an and AM um, specialist fund is quite unusual. But it, it shows you the depth of activities which is going on in this business and, and how we approach technology development. Um, what do we hope to, 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 um, to leverage from that? Um, certainly their networks, um, both in, into direct end-user relationships, but also within the, the AM space. Um, and we're already actively working both both of those investors um, to, to get the benefits of that. Mm -hmm. And with, the, with the, the cash, with the money, what, what was that going to enable? Yeah, so the, the funding uh, enables us to scale our business, um, to, to lay down a larger manufacturing footprint in the UK, and to begin thinking about uh, a wider scale rollout um, regionally, North America, Latin America, Middle East in, in particular. And then finally, in terms of the, the potential impact of the business and the technologies, what do you, what do you see in the, kind of the, the immediate term, the short term, medium and long term? Well, we, we see based on our, our opportunity pipeline, which is growing rapidly, uh, a, a very fast growing, profitable business, uh, which always keeps the investors happy, um, but one which can deliver real impact. So, yeah, helping address climate change, um, reducing CO2 emissions of various manufacturing processes, 
increasing the abundance of water and, and many, many critical resources, including lithium and hydrogen, which underpin energy transition. Tickets are now on sale for the 2023 TCT Awards. On June the 7th, the 3D printing and additive manufacturing community will come together to celebrate the latest technology innovations and application developments at the 5th annual TCT Awards ceremony. The world's preeminent 3D printing and additive manufacturing awards program, TCT Awards is held alongside TCT 360 in Birmingham in the UK. To book your tickets, visit www.tctawards.com